Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at... 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome to my home here in Houston, Texas, and the sun's already gone down here. We're getting into the fall season, and as I look over the Texas Medical Center, just looking to see what kind of traffic we have out there. Pretty light because everybody's at home watching the Houston Astros uh, in the championship series, and uh, hopefully they'll continue to be undefeated going right into the World Series and bring that back to Houston and uh, looking forward to that. But just welcome to the program tonight. Uh, you, you know what I really think you ought to do is watch the show. Just have the Astros on the TV in front of you. Uh, put it on mute, and uh, because we have some great information tonight, we have a great author, uh, and I have thoroughly enjoyed his book twice that I've read it uh, this week. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, I want you all to get out your pencil and paper, or, or your quill and your parchment, whatever you use to type down or write down information, uh, to get the title of the book and how to get a hold of it tonight, because you're going to be. Uh, really, really blessed. Been a good week. Uh, I'm getting my strength back every day uh, from all the hospital visits I've had. So I appreciate all the thoughts and cards and emails and texts and everything that people are doing. So thank you for your support. Thank you for all the committees that I'm on to uh, uh, endure me not being able to be there. Uh, but I'm feeling better and and starting to be able to get back into the routine. Although the routine is not going to be the normal routine, those days are over. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to maybe retire like our guest did tonight and just write for a living. Wouldn't that be awesome? But anyway, you know, I, there's a lot of things that I was thinking about this week in my own personal life. And <clears throat> if you know anything about me, you know that I love Frank Sinatra. And there's a song that he does and a line in there that goes, regrets, I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. And he talks about that in the song of my way. And I tell you that regrets are something that um, I deal with a lot. And I've been dealing with regrets uh, because of my health issue. That why did I put so much time in places and so much energy in work? when that's not what life is all about. And there's a couple of quotes that you may want to write down or even tweet out. And one is, uh, I would prefer to have a life full of mistakes than a life full of regrets. And I, I don't believe I've ever seen anybody on their deathbed, and maybe our guest tonight has, 
that their last dying words were, oh, I wish I spent more time at the office. <laughs> it just don't happen. And life is out there for us to be able to grab a hold of it and experience it to the, to the fullest. And I just want to encourage you that life isn't always that eight to five drudge of what we do for a paycheck. That's what we do to make a living, to earn the ability to be able to go out and enjoy life. And sometimes we get that backwards. And, uh, you know, but with looking at regrets, you know, the past doesn't exist anymore. And it's never going to exist again in our lifetime. And allowing your decisions from this non-existent period of time to still cause you pain is counterproductive in the time that you have in the present. So why do I sit and look and go, why did I do it that way? Oh, I regret doing that. Why did I, I personally think the greatest mistakes in life uh, are continually being afraid to make one. So taking that step of faith of going out, like maybe our guest is going to talk about tonight, of leaving the CEO of one of the largest uh, cycling businesses in the world to be able to make that transition to be an author and be with us tonight and talk to somebody that he has never even met in Houston, Texas, over this Internet uh, radio show and, you know, a uh, podcast is going to be podcast starting uh, next week uh, around the world. Why would you do that? We're going to find it out. And, and I think uh, the non-existent part of that past is the future is so unsure and cause and effect are things that we wish we could literally simplify, but we can't in reality. You don't know how things are going to be different, so you need to stop worrying about what I should have done, could have done, would have done. Uh, basically, that's a big waste of time. Um, don't fear the pain of work uh, because it's nothing in comparison to the pain of regret. Don't fear the pain of wishing I had done that. The biggest regret or the biggest pain is going to be not understanding of making that mistake or that attempt to even do something that is outside our comfort zone. And the biggest blessing I've ever experienced in life is stepping outside of that comfort zone. And I'm fixing to go into a comfort zone that is way outside of my normal existence. And I'm looking forward to that experience because I'm looking forward to spending the lot time I have on this earth experiencing life to the fullest. I'm not going to worry about how I messed up in the past. Just chalk it up for a lesson learned. And I need to understand that I am a artwork in progress. And the last thing I want is to stand in front of my Heavenly Father with a masterpiece that wasn't complete. And I want to make sure I finish it to the last stroke, not necessarily for everything that I want to accomplish, but everything that he wants to accomplish through me. Okay, that, that's my little soapbox for tonight. Don't, uh, I love the My Way song, but don't worry about the regrets. Uh, do it the way you feel the Lord wants you to do it.
and then your maker wants you to do it and don't look back. Take those steps outside the comfort zone and experience life to the fullest. And I think David uh, tonight is going to be able to, uh, I'm just going to bring him in, David Pruitt all the way from the beautiful state of North Carolina is with us tonight. And he is a former CEO of Performance Bike, one of the largest cycling companies, I believe, in the world at the time. And uh, he has recently uh, said adios and walked out the door and said, I want to write. And he's written this book that I want everybody to be able to write down. And the name of the book, if you're ready, write this down, Relative Distance. And we're going to find out more about that. And we're going to talk about inside things that maybe he don't even want to talk about tonight, but he's here to share his life now with you. So I want to welcome to the program tonight, David Pruitt. David, are you there? Can you hear us? I am. I am. Tell me what you think. Yeah. I, just in my uh, uh, little intro there, did you have any of that kind of gut-wrenching, oh, my lands, I'm leaving one of the biggest companies in the cycling world that's known to mankind as a CEO to go out and write that had a very iffy, uh, unpredictable world. Tell me what kind of transition that did for you and what you learned in that transition before we even get to the book. Well, uh, I uh, it was a time of, uh, I guess, tremendous change. And when there's change in our lives, I think all of us, uh, you know, take a moment to reflect yeah. on where we've been. And I, you know, someone told me that I put a 45 year career into 35 years because I work 60 hour weeks. We were opening stores across the country, and uh, you know, it was my job to pick the places where the stores were. And so I, I looked at every location, and in addition to running the business, so I, I had worked a lot of hours for a lot of years. And I, I frankly, uh, now we'd sold the business, and so there were circumstances around my leaving with that. But uh, I, w- I was ready to stop when I stopped. And um, although in terms of the book and when that came into play, um, so it was interesting. I, I had a difficult upbringing, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little yes. bit. Uh, I told uh, when I was 20 years old in my dorm room with one of my friends who's still a great friend today, 40 years later, I told him that I was going to write a book. And then when I met my wife, I was six years later, I was 26. Uh, her dad is a wonderful man. He's been a great great mentor to me and just a great father-in-law. He, uh, We had just met and he was quizzing me about what I was going to do with my life. And I told him I was going to you know, work my tail off in corporate America for a period of years. And then at 55, I was going to stop and write a book. And uh, I'd never thought that would actually happen, although it was in my mind for that to happen. And sure enough, uh, at 55, I stopped and you know, I began the process of writing. This wasn't necessarily the book that I was going to write, but it's it's what came out of that period in my life of tremendous change and a lot of reflection. And, uh, yeah, the book was born from that. And I applaud you for that because that had to take uh, courage, any type of change. And I hear about the 60 hours. That's me, uh, if not more uh, hours in the day that I, I tried to keep on keeping on and 
and plug it away and they'd be lost without me type of effect. They're not going to be lost without me. They're going to go fine when I'm gone. You know, they're going to keep on going. That's right. But when you made that change and decided to write the book and you said that wasn't the book you had primarily on your mind back in the days when you were in your mid twenties, what uh, caused you to end up uh, like the title of our show, uh, break the silence of saying, this is what I want the world to know right now in this time in my life and to, to start pinning that. What kind of decision-making was that in your mind? Well, I was, again, it was a kind of change. And I looked at my wife one day. I remember it was um, probably December of 2016. I said, you know, I'm going to go to the library and I've got my laptop and I'm just going to start writing some things that I've had in my mind. And it started out. So I'm there and it was, it was sort of like a eight to five thing. I was there for the day. I had my snacks, the whole deal. And I started writing this fictional historical thing that I've been thinking about. And it seemed so trite because I was in this moment in my life where I'm sure that all of us at some point in our life are amazed at our life journey uh, of where we started and where we are and how we got there. And I was in that moment of I, I really given where I had started, which I can talk about uh, when appropriate, I, I couldn't believe where I was at. And I knew I had been extremely blessed. And so I, instead of this fictional thing, I put it aside and I started writing these uh, scenes that were in my head that had been in my head for years. Uh, I just started putting them down. And um, along about that same time, uh, so I'm writing all this stuff about not so good things that happen and some good things that happen. And about that time, my one of my brothers, who had been out of my life, I'd lost him for 27 years. He shows up. He calls my father. He's in Texas. Anyway, uh, I hadn't seen him in 27 years, and I'd like to tell his story uh, when appropriate. But what happened, I'm writing these scenes of this dysfunctional upbringing. I hadn't seen my brother in 27 years. I went to Texas to see my brother. We had a very emotional uh, reunion. I love my brother, and I was thrilled to see him. And uh, at some point, uh, like we certainly were not in a war growing up, but it feels like you're a survivor. Right. And so I began asking him, well, you know, here's how all that felt for me. How did it feel for you? And um, he. It impacted him deeply, probably more, even more deeply than me, uh, the abuse and the dysfunction in our family. And uh, once I knew how it had impacted me, I'd begun writing and I knew what had happened to him. I learned all of his stories. He had been homeless for many, many of those years when we were apart. He was homeless in Greensboro when I was 18 years old, and so was my other brother. And so um, he, I knew how deeply he was impacted. And then I began research, researching the issue of child abuse. And I learned about adverse childhood experiences, and it gave a name to what had happened to us. I didn't know that there was a name for it. And I learned the implications of that and what it can do to the quality of a life for the rest of your life. And I learned that if you do the math, there's 25 to 30 million people in the United States that have some element of abuse or neglect in their upbringing. And once I realized that, I, I, it really sort of became a mission for me to do this. Uh, I would like to say with my book, and I want to tell more of my origin at some point, uh, I'm not doing this for monetary gain. All the proceeds from this book are going to go to uh, prevent child abuse America. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not in this for the money. I just want to 
put the message out there. And the message is that you can move beyond it. Uh, it doesn't have to change the trajectory of your life. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to work harder than some who didn't weren't raised the same way you were, but you can move beyond it. And so my book really gives these two very different stories of moving beyond abuse, which was and, and Gregory, if I could, let me tell you my story just for the yes, re- please. Is that OK? Yes, absolutely. OK, so my story is that I was raised in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. It's the blue collar south. Uh, we lived on the eastern side of Greensboro, which was uh, without question the less affluent side of Greensboro. My father was a factory worker. Uh, my mother was mentally ill. And uh, reading now about the way she behaved, she was schizophrenic. Nobody knew that. And this was the late 60s in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so she was out of my life before, you know, by the time I was 10 years old. My father, who was a hardworking, responsible man, also unfortunately had severe mood swings. And he uh, was violently abusive and verbally abusive to me and my siblings. By the time I was 18, both of my brothers were homeless on the streets of Greensboro. And my father kicked me out when I was 18 and I almost joined them. And uh, the, my saving grace was that I, I played some sports when I was in high school. I was a terrible student in high school because I didn't care at that point, right? I was just trying to get through my survival at home. Uh, but a, a, a family took me in of the play, one of the players that I played with and gave me a chance to kind of get on my feet. Uh, I reconciled after a while with my father. I came back home. I applied to the local university I became a first-generation college graduate. I got my CPA license. Uh, I worked 35 years in corporate America. 20 of those years, I was either the CFO or the CEO. And we grew a company that was had 10 stores and was just a little local Chapel Hill company into the largest cycling retailer in the United States. You know, we had our problems. We had our struggles. And there's no question about that. But it was, it was an incredible story. But all that time while that was happening, my one of my brothers who was homeless in Greensboro, the one who I found 27 years later, he at some point gave up and left North Carolina and he traveled across the United States. And he is the most resilient part of our story. I respect him so much because he uh, he had his backpack on his back. He had his Bible in his backpack and he slept under overpasses. He jumped freight trains. He's got he had all these stories that he was telling me. And all the time he was the same as me. The roots of just living our lives, the roots of how we were brought up just trickled through everything that we did. I mean, you know, when I would have to speak in front of a large group of people, I I would kind of say, well, these people don't have any idea that I got slapped because I couldn't eat a lime. You know, I mean, they just they don't know all the stuff that happened to us. and, And my brother was the same way. Well, it turns out he got diagnosed bipolar two after he finally got off the road. He had PTSD from our upbringing, but he he survived. Right. He married a wonderful woman. He's doing great in Texas now. Uh, But all of this, that's my story. That's the story I tell. But more importantly, in the book, the story that I tell is the journey beyond it. Yes. That's what's most important to me to share. Yeah, and we're going to get into that. I want to drill down a little bit deeper here on on your your upbringing a little bit, and then get into the other side because I believe uh, your experience with adverse childhood experiences 
changed my life as I think it did yours. Because once I started reading about it, and it was why I was writing the book, and the doctor that Texas Children's Hospital, I handed a manuscript to him. I said, hey, can you read it? And he asked her to ask me things about my life. He said, Greg, have you ever heard about ACEs? And that's the first I heard about it. That's why in the first book, I don't even hardly talk about it. It changed my life. It's like, oh, my lands, this is me. This is what happened to me and why I'm the way I am. And when that knowledge is out there, that changes everything. And I love that uh, all the proceeds are going uh, to the organizations that support and help and encourage people that have gone through what you and I have gone through in different ways and, and your brothers and so many other millions of people around the world. Hold up your book if you do before we go to uh, to a break. Relative Distance is right there. It's available right now on Amazon. And uh, David, when we come back, he's going to tell us how you can get it, maybe directly from the publisher or for other ways. But you can get right on Amazon, download it on ebook, I believe, right now. I've read it. Uh, on the ebook version. It was wonderful, but it's a great book. We're going to come back on the other side of this break and we're going to find out some of the things that he wants, David wants us to know about nature and nurture, about his opinion of adverse childhood experiences. And then I want to make sure I get to all the way through that book. It's like 200 some pages. So David, you can even flip all the way through. I want to make sure we get to the epilogue because the epilogue to me was the most life-changing of the entire book. It was like all my lands. And in that epilogue is those five things. And I want to talk about that when we get back. So we'll be right back, 888-627-6008. If you want to get involved or get right on Shattered by the Darkness, we got a lot of people watching online tonight. Uh, feel free to comment there. We'll be right back after our first commercial. Don't leave us. Hang in there. You know, I tell you what, I have been working on this project for the last couple of years, and we keep promising you that this book was going to come out, but it is now out right now on Kindle edition, and I can't be more excited than I am about this book because it's a perfect timing for what our teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, basically everybody needs, and it's called When the Dark Clouds Come, The Roadmap to Hope. It's available right now on Amazon, on Kindle, and it'll be available August 16th, uh, actually on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, uh, Books A Million, all those sites. And just a few topics that it talks about. Chapter one, you're gonna find out how, where you are in life and how to find out how to get where you're going. Chapter eight tells you about how to take control back of your life. Chapter 11 till deals with how you're dealing with anxiety and anger. Chapter 12 goes even deeper into depression. How do you deal with that? Hurt, pain, and suicide. And there are just so many things. I personally believe that every person that's listening to me, every parent, every grandparent, every school teacher, every doctor, every library, every church, every counselor, every minister needs a copy of this book and copies to hand out to the people that are going through some of their own storms of their life. When the dark clouds come, the roadmap to hope. Get this one? I'm proud of this, and this is the one book that I wish I had when I was going through all of that abuse, when I was a child, when I was a teenager. I wish I had that to be able to turn 
to be able to learn how to get through my storms to hope. Go map to hope when the dark clouds come. Don't miss it. It's on Amazon right now. to shorten that commercial up. That's a little too long for me to be right honest with you, but that was with the first, the book was first coming out. So we'll shorten that to just let you know, hey, it's out there if you want it. Selling thousands of books every day uh, on on the ebook uh, side and even on the hard copy side. So appreciate that. And I know David's is going to just go through the roof. And I, I really hope that everybody gets it. And because the title Relative Distance, uh, how do you come up with that, David? Because there is a distance a huge uh, canyon, chasm of distance between how brothers can be different being raised in the same house. So is that where you came up with that? Or how did you come up with the title of Relative Distance? Um, the title of the book refers to um, the journey of life that we all take. Uh, I mean, we're all born, and, and obviously there, there, there's going to come an end to our journey at some point. But on our journey, all of us are looking to find that place where we belong, that sense of purpose in our lives, the things that fulfill us, the people around us uh, that make a difference in our lives. And but the journey is not the same for all of us. Uh, It's like if you're running a 5K, if you're running a 5K up a mountainside and going up 3000 feet in elevation, that's a little bit harder than running down Ocean Boulevard with the wind behind your back. And, uh, you know, for a, for a child who was abused, to find fulfillment and purpose in your life based on where you started, that's a, that's, a, that's a difficult, difficult journey. That distance is not quite the same. And so that's really that concept was what was in my mind. Um, yeah, I understand the nature versus nurture argument. And one of the puzzles that really, I guess, that I had questions about for me that bothered me all my life is I... I I'm very proud of my brothers and the line that divides the trajectory of our lives is very thin. A a decision there, a choice there could have been completely different. But I always wondered, you know, how how did my life go this way, given where I started? I mean, we were raised in the same house. We had the same parents. And, um, you know, some of the things that that I thought about was, number one, we're all a product of two parents and we get a mix of those genes that we get. And, uh, yeah, that's part of it, obviously. Another thing is, Something that meant so much to me, and it can certainly work the other way, was birth order. I was the youngest of three. Me too. And so I got to see some of the things that were happening to my older brothers based on what happened to us in the house and how they were reacting to it. 
And that turned out to be a tremendous advantage for me because it put the fear in me about, you know, well, what am I going to do to not for this not to happen to me? Right. So the birth order now that could work the other way. If you're the older sibling, sometimes you have more responsibility was when you're young and you carry that forward. So it doesn't always work that way, but it worked that way for me. And then and how much older that, are your brothers are to you, your siblings? Uh, two and four years older than me. Okay. And the brother who was, who was in Texas, uh, he was two years older than me. Okay. So, uh, yeah, birth order certainly played a role. Individual wants and desires. Uh, yeah, who you surround yourself with outside the home were three different, you know, we were three different brothers. We had three different sets of friends. We had three different activities. Yeah, we all did have different activities. So the outside environment can also influence it. Um, you know, maybe divine intervention. I, I don't know. In the end of the day, that was that's an impossible question for me to answer, and I could not answer it as part of the book. I decided at the end, and you mentioned the epilogue, I decided to make sure that I explained to the reader you know, my journey and how I got to a better place in the hopes that it would give some insight and, and, and some opportunity for someone who's trying to take their lives to a better place. And uh, that became the mission. You know, so I gave the two different journeys, that how my brother and I got out of the abuse. And then I gave, okay, here's specifically how I, how I did it. And that's not to say my life is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I've been very blessed. Uh, but life has challenges, as you know, and that those challenges will continue. But um, to me, that became the bigger question or the bigger challenge and the bigger purpose to communicate how I got to a better place. Yeah. Um, when you discovered or, or you may have known it for years, uh, homelessness was part of your brother's lives. How did that affect you? Um, how did that affect them? And what insight does that give you? on that community now, because I can literally look out my window off the balcony here and see homeless people on the streets of Houston. I mean, we're filled with homeless people. Uh, what kind of eye-opening experience is that for you now as you look back and through your brother's eyes too? Well, I experienced homelessness in my family. My, uh, uh, one of the hardest things I did before I was 18 years old is my oldest brother, uh, uh, he had come back and my father and I let him back in when my father wasn't home. And my father told me to go drop him on the streets. So I had like six, I was saving for college. I think I had like $60 in a savings account outside of my tuition for college. And I went and got like 30 bucks and I gave it to my oldest brother and I dropped him. Uh, I'll never forget it. I dropped him at an elementary school and there were woods off to the left and a residential neighborhood off to the right. And I watched him, you know, walk to the woods and I knew that's where he was going to be sleeping that night. And that's one of the hardest things I've ever seen. I saw my brother uh, who was nearly freezing to death, knock on the door and try to get back in our house. And he had been homeless and it was snowing outside. So I, I saw it when I was young, when I wrote the book and I and particularly when I learned that my brother had continued to be homeless for a period of years and traveled the country. I, I did a lot of research on homelessness just because I wanted to better understand the issue, what causes it, how prevalent is it. And I learned some things. Number one, there's about 600,000 people in this country that are homeless right now. A quarter of those people have some form of mental illness. So that's uh, mental illness is, is, is a big part of the homelessness crisis. 
Uh, dysfunctional upbringing is certainly part of it as well, Absolutely. because you got young kids who want to get out of where they're at and they go out into the world before they're ready and responsible enough to take care of themselves. So that's another segment of what's happening. Uh, but the biggest problem right now in America with homelessness, and I don't want to go too far off course, is, is the lack of affordable and available housing. I mean, you, you've got people, you've got people now. I think there's uh, 8 million people in America outside of these 600,000 that are homeless that pay over 50% of their income each month in a monthly house payment. So they're teetering, right? I mean, they're moving quickly towards not having shelter. So that's one of the biggest problems, problems with homelessness in America right now. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just tragic. And uh, my brother, since I've gotten back together with him, he's really opened my eyes and given me a different perspective about the homeless and how we should think about the homeless and maybe how we should treat the homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as you can imagine, with his experiences on the road, he, uh, you know, he goes out in his local town and he brings water and buys food. And he, I mean, he, he's, he understands how you can, how you can be out there and his compassion. It's really interesting. I'm so proud of him. And some people would look at my life and look at my brother's life and say, well, you know, I'm the more accomplished, more productive one. And yeah, I look at my brother and I see how compassionate he is with the homeless. And I'm not sure that's actually true. I feel like that I need to learn something for him and where he is in his life. So, but anyway, I've learned a lot about the homeless. It's, it's a growing problem. Uh, and it's one that, you know, we need to address in addition to, of course, which uh, is, the, is the abuse, the child abuse issue, which, of course, is near and dear as well. Absolutely. And I, I believe, David, do you see yourself um, as becoming um, a spokesperson, an advocate of being out there telling people, hey, this is what we need to focus on uh, in our country, in our city, in our state? Uh helping with legislation. Do you see any type of work in that in your upcoming future of now that you've told the world your story, you see how you've been affected in your brothers. You see the things that are vitally important in life that affect so many people. How do you see your role in that now as you are an author at home? You know, I, I, Gregory, that's a great question. I don't know where this journey is going to take me. I, I don't know what God has in mind for me to do. Uh, it's really interesting. You know, I was a leader in a company that had 2,000 people in it, and I, I needed to be out there and you know, leading the charge, and I did that. Uh, but in my heart, I'm an introvert. <laughs> so uh, my best way, my best foray into this whole, all these issues that we're talking about was to be alone and, and write. And, and say what I wanted to say with the written word. So that's my starting point. That's my stake in the ground. Um, I, I spent a couple of years writing this book and I really, you know, having, having worked uh, all those years in corporate America, I understand the importance of a good product. So I really wanted to write, not tell just a, a difficult story and an inspirational story, but I wanted to write a good book, right? Yeah. I want to put a good product in the world and I hope I've done that. But I, I don't know where this journey is going to take me. I'm, I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm open to it. Uh, I have a wife that I love dearly that I'll have to consult with <laughs> on anything that I uh, get into. Uh, she uh, put up with me working a lot for a lot of years. So we'll see. But I, I, I'm passionate about this. I'm, I'm, it's very important to me. 
And uh, I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm open. So you have uh, transferred your CEO designation to your wife. Uh, she is now the CEO of the whole, correct? She had to get permission from her. Oh, she, she, always, she always held that role. <laughs> still, That's what I nice. can just, I, after reading the book, after meeting you for the first time uh, just a few minutes ago uh, and hearing uh, the way you present and the background that you have in the book and your interest in finding out more information like the homeless and adverse, I can, I can see uh, places that would love to have you uh, being involved, uh, speaking, uh, teaching, training, uh, sharing, uh, what you have learned from your experience, both business world and, uh, childhood and how people can, because David, there's a lot of people that CEOs of the company, a lot of doctors that I deal with every day that have gone through the same thing and have never dealt with it. And those aces are coming back into their bodies now. And they're going, what's happening to me? And we've been there, done that. And I think that would, to have as many people as we can to voice that and share that would be awesome uh, for a lot of people. And I can see you using that in the future. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know to get into that. Um, but I would welcome that opportunity. So we'll see what doors open and what happens. Uh, I'm just going to be real honest and real direct about what I lived and what I've learned. And I know this, I know my intentions are good. I, I, I really, I know what it's like to see a child's potential stolen from them. Mm -hmm. I, know that, I know what that looks like. And so, uh, yeah, any way that I can prevent that from happening, uh, I, I welcome that, but we'll see, you know, I've started with the book and uh, yeah, I don't know where it's gonna take me, but I look forward to, to, to finding that out. That's great. And I tell you, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let the BBS radio station know. Let's not take another break. I want to just keep on going. Uh, we're on a roll. No need to uh, do anything. Uh, it's about another commercial. We're just going to plow right on through that, David, if that's all right with you. I don't sure. want to waste any time on a commercial about my book. I want everybody to get the book that you're dealing with a relative distance. And that's the key to the program tonight. So let's focus uh, on that. When you found out about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, what, in a nutshell, because there's some other things I want to get to, what impact do you think that had on you? And what kind of life-changing aha moment was that for you when you discovered that in your life? Well, the first thing is, is that I learned that I wasn't as special and unique as I thought that I was. I learned that uh, there's so many millions of people uh, certainly in this country and, and abroad, uh, that this has happened to. And they do the same thing that I did all those years. You know, they don't talk about it. And I understand that. Yeah, you know, I, I do understand it. It's hard to, to, to put some hard things out in the open in the world. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you, when I learned about adverse childhood experiences and then I thought about some of the behaviors I've had all my life and some of the way, the feelings that I've had and, and, um, and then I was able to link those behaviors, which I frustrated me at times about myself, back to those things that happened when I was young. Just making that link alone was so valuable to me because then I understood why I felt the way I felt and why I was behaving that way. And it allowed me to step back 
and rationalize my emotions a little bit better than I could before. So, I, yeah, there's so many people that don't look back. They don't want to look back and, and they're afraid to look back. And I understand that. But I, I will say for me personally, looking back, it helped me. It helped me understand uh, who I was and the behaviors I had and how to, how to better manage them. So for me, that was a good thing. I, but just to know that that many people um, this has happened to was, was a revelation. And uh, to understand the quality of life implications, right? I mean, you know the numbers, I know. The CDC study, 17,000 people. Uh, they followed them for all of their lives. They answered this 10 uh, item questionnaire. There were five events that could happen that were personal to you. There were five that were family related. If you had at least four of these, you had a 400%, you have a 400% greater chance of depression, 1200% greater chance of suicide, you know, all these things. And if six of these 10 things happen to you, on average, the participants in this study live 20 years less than the norm for their peer group, their ethnicity, their gender. And it's just, I, I didn't understand how pervasive it was and the, and the impact of it. So it really, it, it's just, it was just an eye-opening thing for me. Um, and so I'm in it. Yeah. What, what score did you get on that, David? I, I scored an eight. Uh, what did you get when you took that little exam? I'm a seven. Seven. Yeah. And I really honestly believe that when I had open heart surgery in my early mid forties, I really believe that that was my 20 years to die before I was supposed to, uh, and God saved me from that because I was just falling apart inside and out. And I'm still uh, being affected by health things from from my childhood, I really believe. Well, you and I, we're, yeah. we're sort of on that outer edge of, you know, when you get up to seven or eight, it's uh, that's 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 there. But uh, I don't discount any of it. I, you know, I think the problem is when things that happen to you when you're young is part of the core of who you are. Oh, and yeah. It's it's embedded in you. It's in your mind. It's in your soul. And you just carry it all your life. And carrying that weight, you know, just it, it has it impacts your health. It impacts your mental outlook. It's just uh, it, 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 it's really unbelievable. But how did writing the book affect and change the relationship that you have with your wife? And she may have known all about the past. But did that did that help? the relationship did that help uh the communication or was you guys talking about that all these years uh that you've been married she knew and i think one of the chapters in the book i I took her to meet my mother who i had not seen in nine years because i wanted her before she married me to make sure she understood you know what all she was getting uh the good and the bad and she I, i took her to meet my mother and that was the last time i saw my mother uh, for like 30 years, but I wanted my wife to meet her. So my wife knew some of the things, you know, for years I was working all those hours. We were raising two sons who I love dearly. And I'm very proud of. Uh, I had my head down doing what I was supposed to do now at night. And she used to always get on me. I, I'd sleep facing away from her because these things were on my mind and I didn't realize that I was doing that. But she kept asking me and I didn't really get into it with her. But when I started writing the book, uh, she was a little worried about me. I think um, she thought that uh, you know I was I was really bringing up some stuff, but uh, I came out the other side fine. You know, I, I came out with more resolve than when I started. So it, our relationship has not changed. Our marriage is strong. Uh, it'll continue to be strong, and 
Yeah, I'm blessed. She's she's definitely my better half. And uh, yeah, I knew that I needed to marry someone who was a strong person who could carry their side of the responsibilities of raising children. And I mean, I knew I would need that because I knew I had this inner turmoil going on in me that uh, if whenever I was weak and allowed it would would be something I would have to deal with. So she was absolutely that strong, uh, stable personality that I needed. And uh, she's a blessing. And I'm very confident that I, I would not have done what I've done if she were not who she is. That's great. That's great. Uh, if somebody wants to, I want to make sure we get to this because sometimes I run long and then the radio station has to go to another live program or cut us off. Uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of the book or get a hold of you or find out more about you and uh, email or whatever, uh, tell tell us how to get this relative distance. And then if they want to contact you possibly uh, for wisdom or just uh, encouragement or what's the best way? Okay. So- I have a website, uh, davidlpruitt.com, P-R-U-I-T-T, davidlpruitt.com. You can learn more about me. You can learn learn more about my book. You can learn more about statistics on homelessness and child abuse and really the impetus for me writing this book. And you can click and uh, link over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million or wherever you want to buy it. And you can buy my book, uh, keeping in mind that, of course, the proceeds are going to go to deal with some of these things that I'm talking about. So uh, I'd love you to do that. You can obviously go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble right now directly and download it and read it. uh, I'm very proud of it. It's certainly not perfect, but uh, I've I've gotten some good reviews and it served, I think I've achieved my mission and I'd, I'd, I'd love you to read it and maybe take, you know, every book, when I read books and I read a lot of books in my life, I, I want to do two things. I want to be emotionally engaged and moved by what I read. And I want to learn something. And I believe, and I could be wrong, but I think if you you will take the time to read my book, you may learn something about yourself, which to me is, I, I always wanted to take that, you know, and, and get something for myself. And so I'm hoping the reader will be able to do that. I, I feel pretty confident that they will. Well, you know, I appreciate that. And there's no doubt after reading your book uh, twice that I, I love reading all the time. I read as many books as I can every week. And um, it's not only a book that I am glad I got. It's one of those books that I want to buy other copies and give them away. And I don't do that with every book. <laughs> Believe you me, because some I don't want to give away and read. But this is one that I really think people get some wonderful insight. Great story. Uh, great hope, and then there's some things that they can find out about themselves. And like you said, that's the best kind of books there are, the ones that change lives. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the epilogue. Yes, I want to get to that, please. Yeah, let's, let's, I want to hear some of this. Okay, let me, so one of the things I wanted to do and wanted to share with your audience and obviously in the book that can get much more information is uh, I I wanted to, I, I, I wrote that epilogue in like two hours because I knew exactly how I got from where I started to where I eventually became. So let me give you a couple of those things, if I could, to the audience that, that made such a difference for me. And one of the biggest things was this, um, you know, when you're an abused child in your home, in your home, in an abused home, the four walls of your home, they seem so so closed off. And uh, 
Yeah, you may have siblings, but they're going through the same thing that you're going through. And most likely they're in survival mode, just like you are. And so one of the things, if you want to take your life to a better place and you're you're just coming out of an abusive home, you have to open your eyes to the role models that are outside of the home. There are wonderful people who whose intellects you can appreciate, whose character and integrity you can admire, whose per, whose purpose and attitude and behaviors you can emulate. And those role models to me were so absolutely critical because I saw things that I didn't see in my house that that I saw, hey, let, that's a different way to live. That's a different way to be. And yeah, I can just throw out a couple of my fourth grade teacher. Uh, she'll never know what she meant to me. The fourth grade was actually the last year of academia until college that I actually tried. She was uh, she cared about me. She challenged me. Uh, she told me at the end of the year that she thought one day that I would do great things, which was really the first praise I, I felt like I'd ever had in my life. Right. So she just had this tremendous View. I mean, I I did not live up to her expectations through high school. I, I got so caught up in what was going on, I went the other way. But her voice lived in my head and still lives in my head today. And uh, and I'll tell you another strange role model that I had. And one of the things that it taught me that what was happening in my house wasn't right. And this is going to be terrible. And your people, people who are your listeners who are not from the South and know nothing about the Andy Griffith Show are not going to get this at all. I love Andy Griffith. But uh, so when I was a kid in our house, you know, and, and, you know, my father was hitting my mother and we had all this stuff going on and people were, you know, stitches, people were getting hurt. But I would watch that Andy Griffith show and I saw and I know it was a fictional town. I know it was a fictional show, but I saw the relationship between a father and a son and how it could be. And and I took that to heart. That told me that was so important to me because it showed me well, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That is the way that it can be. And, and so, again, you're, you're looking outside of your home, whether it's people you see. I saw something on TV. I, I had a teacher. I had prof- mentors in the corporate America. Yeah, you see people that you want to emulate. There are role models outside of your home that can show you a better way. And, and you need, to, you need to, to take that into account in your life. Uh, one other thing that I will say, and I hope it's fine to say this, uh, one of the blessings for me is that I found God in my life at an early age. Um, my father, much to his credit, he was a hardworking man, and he read us the Bible on Saturday nights. And uh, you know, he gave me a children's Bible. I wrote a chapter in the book describing this children's Bible and all the pictures I saw in it. But he, he instilled a belief in God in us, even though he was doing what he was doing. And uh, my mother, who was mentally ill and out of my life, she came back after the divorce just for a few months and she started taking me to church and I was baptized at 10. And so somehow in all this turmoil, I had, I had faith in God instilled in me early in my life. And then as I was going through some terrible incidents in our home and some other things that happened in my life, the power of prayer in my life when I was a child was, was unbelievable. I mean, it was so sustaining and comforting to me. It gave me a, you know, a sense of hope that I, you know, I could get get out of what I was in. And so find your role models outside of the house, find God. And I will acknowledge in a world that's secular, that everybody's not going to take my good advice <laughs> and, and, and pursue that. But I will say this, if you're, if you're in an abused home and things are going on, you've got to have someone that you can talk to about it. You cannot, 
carry that weight alone. You've Maybe there's a teacher, maybe there's a counselor, maybe there's a pastor, maybe there's just a friend your age, but just to have someone to share what's going on and, and to give you some level of empathy and understanding is also invaluable. But for me, finding the role model, finding God were huge. And I have three other finds that I think I had in that epilogue uh, that I will, that I tell the readers about. And uh, look, those were, uh, those were the steps that it took, you know, for me to get there, find, find role models. Hey, I found God when I was young and that made all the difference. And then, you know, I, I go on and, you know, there's a great big world out there outside of people. There's a world that you can exist in. There's a place that you fit in. There's a talent you may have. And if you find that world, that talent, my talent was amazingly, and I became a CPA is uh, I'm a good communicator, but I'm very good with numbers. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand numbers. I know what I mean. I know, I know how to take them and turn them into action. So that was just something that I had. But if you're in a bad situation, you've got a talent. And there's a world outside of your home that's available to you. And so you find God, you find your role model, you find God, you find that talent, you find your world outside of the four walls of your home. And then it's all about courage and determination. Those may, those may be old fashioned ideas, but that, that is absolutely part of it because you have to have courage because you have no self-esteem. Right. You know, you've been beaten down and you don't believe in yourself. You don't have faith in yourself. But you've seen these role models. God's with you. You've seen this thing that you might be good at. Now you've got to be courageous enough to put your neck out there and try it. And you've got, you, you, you know, and that's really hard for an abused person because you don't believe in yourself. Right. So courage is next. Courage is the fourth step. You've got to have that. And remember this. Determination comes next, because what's going to happen when you have that courage and you get out there and you try to get started you're going to fail. Yeah. It's just, it's just life. It's just the way it is. And in many cases, in my case, uh, the resources weren't there. I had wasted away like nine years of schooling. I was behind when I went to college. There was basic stuff I didn't know. And so, you know, I failed some, I failed, but you've, you've got to be determined because the wonderful thing is if you hold on to those five funds and you translate it with courage and determination, once you start to succeed, it's an iterative process because you succeed, you get a little bit of faith in yourself. You succeed again, you get more faith in yourself. And all of a sudden, you know, your, your life is moving forward. You're beginning to leave behind those bad, difficult things that happened to you. And you learn that you're much, much better than you ever thought that you were. So that, that was my journey. And I hope that's helpful to your listeners. No, I tell you what, I, I don't know, David, and I don't even want to know if you read my book or not, but Andy Griffith is a major part of my life. <laughs> every day, every night, I watch Andy Griffith, and I watch before I fall asleep tonight. Four or five episodes, back to back to back to back. I have them on tape, and I, you know, I have them on my DVR, and just watch. Uh, my fourth grade teacher was my life changer with the Bible and the children's Bible. All the things you're saying, just like man, this is resonating with me. And there's a reason that we've come together uh, because it's so true to have some type of model. My dad wore the exact same boots that Andy Griffith does on the show. And I remember him and wearing those boots. And I wanted my dad to be him so bad. I wanted to be Opie so bad. Uh, and that, that's, what, that's what got me through my pain. And I appreciate you sharing those, that epilogue part 
and everybody that's listening, because we're only down to the last minute, get this book, Relative Distance, uh, by David Pruitt, and there it is right there in front of you. And David, I cannot tell you enough how much I want to thank you and applaud you for this book, for the contributions that what the, the book is going to for the proceeds, and just who you are and the impact that you're, you're going to make on so many people. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the platform and the opportunity. And it's just a pleasure talking to you. So thank you. Well, let's do it again. And uh, I promise if you ever want to come back, just let me know. And we'll have you on as quick as we can. And I appreciate you sharing your time. Thank you, David. Thank you so as much. we close out tonight, I want to thank uh, everybody for being uh, with us this evening. It's like we always do get this book uh, because it talks about hope. And no matter what you're going through, no matter if you are homeless tonight, no matter if you think you're going to be homeless, no matter what you're endured in your past in life with your home, uh, with your upbringing, what you're going through right now or what you're going to face tomorrow, I always want to end the program with letting you know, lean in. There's always hope. Never give up on hope. Thank you for joining us tonight. Join us next week for another awesome live uh, program of Breaking the Silence right here from Houston, Texas. God bless and have an awesome, awesome week. And thank you, Dave, for being with us tonight. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.